Welcome back, everybody, to our two-part episode on MGUS and myeloma. If you have not listened to our recent episode on MGUS, we strongly suggest you do, as it will help you have a stronger understanding of the physiology behind both MGUS and multiple myeloma. As discussed in our previous episode, MGUS is a precursor to multiple myeloma. Let's imagine that you have been following our patient with MGUS in the clinic from the last episode. They have non-IgM MGUS. Remember that 80% of myeloma arises from non-IgM MGUS. For two years now, they have had a progressive rise in M protein. Today, based on the results of their bone marrow biopsy, M protein level, and clinical signs and symptoms, you realize that your patient is one of the unlucky 1% of patients with MGUS whose disease has progressed to multiple myeloma. Because of close follow-up, you have caught the malignancy early. Today, you are in the outpatient GIM clinic. Our patient has multiple myeloma, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is all about multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma is a rare malignant disease of plasma cells, leading to a variety of problems including end organ dysfunction. Multiple myeloma accounts for 10% of all hematologic malignancies. Patients are normally 65 to 70 years of age when diagnosed, and live on average about 8 to 10 years after diagnosis, although this is steadily improving due to current research in the area. Risk factors for multiple myeloma include older age, immunosuppression, and exposure to ionizing radiation, benzene, herbicides, and insecticides. The risk of developing multiple myeloma is four times higher in patients with first-degree relatives with myeloma. Let's start off with definitions. Multiple myeloma is defined as clonal bone marrow plasma cells of over 10% or biopsy-proven bony or extramedullary plasmocytoma, a tumor consisting of abnormal plasma cells, plus any myeloma-defining event. Myeloma-defining events are separated into two categories. One category is evidence of end-organ damage that can be attributed to the underlying plasma cell proliferative disorder. Specifically, this includes hypercalcemia, renal insufficiency, anemia, or bony lesions. The next category is biomarkers of malignancy. This includes clonal marrow plasma cell percentage of over 60%, a ratio of mutated light chains to normal light chains of over 100, or over one focal lesions on MRI studies. Remember that any one of these myeloma-defining events can confirm your diagnosis. There are two main types of myeloma, smoldering myeloma and symptomatic or active multiple myeloma. Remember our two important numbers from the last episode? 30 and 10. With smoldering myeloma, your patient will have serum monoclonal protein of 30 grams per liter or greater, or over 500 milligrams over 24 hours of urinary monoclonal free light chains, or bone marrow plasma clonal cells of 10% or greater. However, these patients will have no evidence of end-organ damage, myeloma-defining events, or amyloidosis. Risk of progression of smoldering cell myeloma is estimated to be 10% per year for the first five years from the time of initial recognition. 
Outside of clinical trials, the treatment for smoldering myeloma is observation. Differentials for myeloma include Waldenstorm's macroglobinemia, amylodosis, and solitary plasmacytoma. How do you identify someone with myeloma? The classic signs of multiple myeloma can be summarized into one myeloma mascot, a crab. The mnemonic crab stands for hypercalcemia, renal failure, anemia, and bony or lytic lesions. To understand why myeloma causes each of these conditions, let's go back to our physiology. Myeloma is a condition where malignant plasma cells create monoclonal immunoglobulins or light chains. These expanding clones cause inhibition of osteoblasts and stimulation of osteoclasts, leading to bony lesions. As osteoclasts break down bone, calcium is released into the blood. The C in CRAB stands for hypercalcemia, specifically over 0.2 millimoles per liter higher than the upper limit of normal. Not only will hypercalcemia show up as an abnormal lab value, but a patient with myeloma may have symptoms of hypercalcemia, such as abdominal discomfort, kidney stones, mood changes, and pathological fractures. The R stands for renal failure, specifically creatinine clearance of less than 40 milliliters per minute or creatinine of over 177 micromoles per liter. Excess light chains bind to TAM horsefall mucoproteins, causing renal tubular damage and obstruction, or, in other words, cast nephropathy. A stands for anemia, or specifically a hemoglobin of over 20 grams per liter below the lower limit of normal, or, in total, hemoglobin of less than 100 grams per liter. This is seen in 75% of patients. The expanding myeloma clones invade the bone marrow and replace normal cells, leading to anemia and other cytopenias. Peripheral blood smear will show a stacked pattern for red blood cells, classically termed the rouleau formation. And finally, B stands for lytic bony lesions. As discussed, the inhibition of osteoblasts and stimulation of osteoclasts causes to occur. On bony imaging, these lesions will look discrete and punched out. Radiologists sometimes use the term pepper pot skull to describe these findings. Diagnostically, one or more osteolytic lesions on skeletal radiography, CT or PET-CT, is classified as a myeloma-defining event, and over one focal lesion on MRI studies is classified as a biomarker of malignancy. In addition to CRAB symptoms, patients may also feel fatigue, bony pain, paresthesias, or recurrent infections. Physical exam findings may reveal hepatomegaly, splenomegaly, and lymphadenopathy. An emergency complication of multiple myeloma is spinal cord compression. Signs and symptoms of cord compression include pain, motor defects, sensory defects, bowel, and bladder dysfunction. Remember, if the patient you are assessing presents with unstable vitals, signs of severe end organ damage, or signs worrisome for cord compression, call your senior for assistance. If your patient has signs and symptoms suggestive of multiple myeloma, there are several tests that you can order to confirm the diagnosis and evaluate the extent of the end organ injury. Blood work, including a CBC, calcium, and creatinine should be ordered. As we learned in our last episode, a SPEP, UPEP, serum immunofixation, and serum-free light chains should also be sent off. Flow cytometry can be helpful to provide prognostic information. 
the patient should have a whole body skeletal imaging, as 80% of patients will have lytic lesions, diffuse osteopenia, or fractures at diagnosis. Based on emerging evidence, the current International Myeloma Working Group guidelines suggest a whole body CT alone, or as part of a PET CT protocol, or MRI, should be considered the standard for detection of osteolytic lesions in multiple myeloma. This is a shift from the traditional skeletal survey that was used in the past. Ultimately, a bone marrow biopsy should be conducted to confirm the diagnosis. Once you have diagnosed multiple myeloma, early consultation with hematology oncology is strongly recommended. Due to developments in myeloma treatments, the survival of patients with multiple myeloma has more than doubled in the past decade. Exact details regarding treatment are out of the scope of this podcast. Broadly, Steps to treating myeloma include diagnosis and determination of need for therapy, staging and risk stratification, induction therapy, consolidation therapy, maintenance therapy, and monitoring and treatment of disease relapse, as well as supportive care. The goals of initial therapy are to control the disease process as rapidly as possible while minimizing toxicity. Initial therapy is based on whether patients are eligible for autologous stem cell transplant or not. In general, transplant-eligible patients are treated initially with induction chemotherapy. Following documented response, stem cells are collected from the patient in question. Consolidation chemotherapy is given, which is highly myelotoxic and kills any of the remaining malignant cells. The collected autologous stem cells will then be reinfused into the patient. They serve as a rescue following the high-dose chemotherapy. In transplant-eligible patients, autologous stem cell transplants have been shown to improve overall survival. Treatment doesn't end here. After the transplant, patients are started on maintenance therapy with an immunomodulatory agent until documented loss of response. Transplant-ineligible patients can be treated with a combination of steroids and an immunomodulatory agent. Relapsed and refractory myeloma is treated with a variety of chemotherapy regimens. Time for our Medicine Minute. In 1844, Thomas Alexander McBean jumped out of a cavern while vacationing. Dr. McIntyre, who was Mr. McBean's physician, wrote in his records that McBean instantly felt as if something had snapped or given away within the chest. He was subsequently treated with a strengthening plaster to the chest area, and a pound of blood was removed, coupled with leech therapy and administration of quinine. After a disease relapse with agonizing pain, Mr. McBean died on New Year's Day, 1846. At his autopsy, his physicians described his bone marrow as blood red and gelatiniform, with microscopy consistent with plasma cell features. His ribs were described as being soft and brittle. His physicians found his urine to be opaque, acidic, and of a high density. They sought the advice of Henry Bence Jones, who is the physician credited for first discovering the association between Benz-Jones protein, an immunoglobulin light chain found in the urine, with multiple myeloma. Thank you for listening to today's episode on multiple myeloma. Let's end our episode with four takeaway points. 1. 
Multiple myeloma is defined as clonal bone marrow plasma cells of over 10% or biopsy-proven bony or extramedullary plasmacytoma or any myeloma-defining event. 2. Smoldering myeloma is defined as M protein level of 30 grams per liter or greater or over 500 milligrams over 24 hours of urinary monoclonal free light chains or bone marrow plasma clonal cells of 10% or greater. But these patients have no evidence of end organ damage, myeloma-defining events, or amylodosis. 3. The mnemonic crab helps us remember the main symptoms of multiple myeloma, including hypercalcemia, renal failure, anemia, and lytic lesions, although cord compression is also an important complication to remember. 4. Treatment of multiple myeloma involves steroids, chemotherapy, and in some cases, bone marrow transplant. Thank you for listening to today's episode on multiple myeloma. This episode was written and produced by Zara Morali, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Laura Habib, clinical fellow in malignant hematology, Dr. Mohamed Aljama, malignant hematologist, and Dr. Rajinder Hanmaya, general internist. The Internetwork series was created by Allison Lai, developed by Zara Morali and Leia Karanopoulos, and overseen by Dr. Daniel Brandt Vegas. Music production by Laxman Zavantha Mohan. If you liked this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. Please also check out our website, www.theinternetwork.com, for a MGUS and multiple myeloma infographic. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.